center and coming in is Loom. Millendike centered it. Talk with Pat Steinberg and Ryan Pike on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right. Uh, welcome to this hour of the program. It is Thursday, June 8th, and Flames Talk this hour is underway. It's the Sports Drive brought to you by Copy Lock and Safe. Ask how a restricted key system can keep your business safe, even through employee turnover. Visit CopyLockAndSafe.com. Hello, Pike. Hi, Pat. Good to see you. First time this week. We get Pike in studio. We're here in our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, and we're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts, and, of course, live on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. And so we know the Flames are currently looking for a new head coach. We are aware of that, and more on that later on this hour because we feel like it's uh, starting to uh, get a little bit closer to that decision being made. More on that later this hour. But they also, uh, Craig Conroy, the new general manager, now has a ton of significant player personnel decisions to make for this summer. And uh, I uh, I wrote earlier this week on sportsnet.ca, I, I highlighted four of the more interesting player personnel decisions for me that he has to make. Um, decisions on Elias Lindholm, Noah Hannafin, Matthew Phillips, and Dylan Dubé, the last of which um, I published. I think this thing got published <laughs> on Tuesday, but uh, we tweeted it out on Thursday. And then within 30 minutes... You had uh, p- pitchforks and torches. Yes, lots of people, uh, lots of people yelling at me. Um, and and fair enough. It's a I, I quite enjoy the conversation and the discourse and all of it. Um, so I'm not I'm not upset. Lots of people disagree with me, and, and that's okay. Some really good some really good rebuttals to my my Dylan Dubé projection, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But let's. There, there's a lot to get done. They've got UFAs to deal with this like for this summer. How many do they have? I think you just they, wrote about they it. They have uh, 14 free agents, but three of them are RFAs. Okay. But, and like, if we're being completely honest here, I could see, foresee a situation where none of their unrestricted free agents come back yeah. and life would go on as, as it, you know, one of the, one of the four guys you mentioned is a, is a pending UFA. And I think he's probably the most interesting of all their UFAs, Matthew Phillips. But the remainder of them, I mean, Trevor Lewis, good death piece. Milan Lucic, good death piece. Troy Stetcher, good death piece. You know, they have a lot of guys like that who have been good soldiers and useful pieces. But I could also foresee a, a new GM who spoke at length at his opening press conference about getting younger. I could see, foresee him going, uh, thanks, for your, thanks for your time here, guys. But we're going to go with someone below the age of 25 for that role. Absolutely. And I've got the, the seven guys that enter the final years of contracts starting on July 1st. And two of those are Lindholm and Hannafin. So I, I just, I, I wanted to bounce some of these conversations off you. The article's up at sportsnet.ca. And I think the guy that, the, the, the guy that kicks off every player personnel conversation yep. until a decision is made is Lindholm. Um, Elias Lindholm to me, needs to be the first decision made, needs to be the first domino to fall, and what the decision is on Lindholm and how the Flames go about deciding what they want to do with Elias determines a lot of their other decisions with some of these seven guys they they got to figure out. If you're one of the other six guys and... You know, the, the Flames, you know, presumably the Flames will name a new coach in short order. And then the next bit of pressing business outside the draft is Lyslin Home. If 
in a few weeks, if, you know, if you know, a week or two away from now, you hear in your Flames player, you hear, oh, Elias Lindholm's, uh, you know, he's back, he's in, he's he wants, you know, they're talking about an extension. All of a sudden, if you were on the fence, if you were like, I don't know, guys, I don't know what I don't know what the direction is. If you can sell Elias Lindholm on the new coach, the new regime, the new direction, then a lot of other guys might go, okay, if Elias is in, I'm in. And so I think, I don't think we can, I don't think it's possible to, to understate or even overstate rather the importance of that conversation because he's the first domino to fall and the direction he falls probably sets the course of the, the team's salary structure for the next five years, 10 years, a while. So, and I, I'm with you, like uh, you need to, um, you need to truly determine here where you're going with this player. And I think you need to determine it this summer. I don't think that's, that's a new take. I don't think that's a hot take. This is controversial stuff here, Pat. You have to fit, but I, I do th- if you're going to trade him, I think you need to do it this summer is, yeah. is I, I really do. I really think you need yeah. to avoid going into next season. If he's not going to re-sign here. I think and, you need to avoid going into next and year if you're, with him if on an you, expiring deal. If you're trading him, that might not be the other move you make, the only move you make too, because like I said, with the other six guys, if Elias is out, some other guys might be leaning, okay, I'm out too then. So you need to make a decision, you know, if you're Elias Lindholm's camp, you need to be convinced one way or the other, and then the team needs to do something about that quickly, because I don't think there's a situation where you can wait until, you know, what what was the Matthew Kachuk thing? We That, that all came together about two weeks ish. It was basically a little bit less than that. The, even. the Friday was the Friday that was happening was the, the qualifying offer acceptance deadline. And then the trade was made basically, I think that day, because I was at a barbecue on a Friday. So I think it was, yeah, during that week, I think the Sunday might've been the QO acceptance deadline. And like maybe 36 hours were the deadlines when they made the, the Matthew Kachuk trade. So that's like maybe 10, 10 to 14 days into the free agency period. So if you're the Flames, I don't think you can wait that long to figure out what you're doing with Elias Lindholm. And if if he's in, you got to, you know, cement him in to the plan. And if he's out, you need to jettison him in a way that can maximize your return. Because, you know, if you're if you look at the I'd say this folks looking at uh, your various websites, looking at pending UFAs on July 1st of this year. It is a lean class, and if you happen to be the Flames and potentially moving in Elias Lindholm or even a Noah Hannafin, this might be the summer to do it mm-hmm. to maximize the value. Because you know, granted, a you get a year of them under contract, and you have you have a year if you're an acquiring team to negotiate a new deal with them. But you also, you know, there's not a lot of amazing high end talent available outside of guys that uh, other teams are trying to dump for cap reasons. So. You know, outside of the math of it, you could. I think there's some value to be had there if that's an avenue you want to go down. What does a realistically? What does an extension look like for Lindholm? And I think it changes with the the years. I think that yeah. if he if you're going to sign Lindholm to a new deal as the Flames, you're probably doing a six to an eight, so six, seven, or eight years. I think you try to do eight if you can. I think eight gives you the lowest AAV of the three. Because you're buying, because you're buying fewer high leverage UFA years yeah. uh, at, at the back you're, you're, end. You're, you're buying, you're buying the first few years of his decline. Yeah, 
But, you know, Frank Saravalli has, has made the point a couple of times when talking about Lindholm, would you go higher to keep the term lower? Like, if it's 8 by 8 and to get him to go 6, you have to go 8.5, would you do 6? And I'm not saying those numbers would or wouldn't get it done just for sake of the conversation. Would you go 6 by 8.5 so that he's done at the age of 35, 36 as opposed to him being done at the age of 37, 38 on an eight-year deal that has a little bit of a lesser cap hit. I, I think you got to look at that. And I think, and I, again, I think that's the kind of thing where you sort of need to map out what your team's cap structure is because, you know, uh, the elephant in the room is we kind of know what the cap's going to be this year. Maybe it's probably 83.5, but, you know, Pat and I were talking off air about, you know, we're, we're both going to be, uh, following a lot of the draft stuff in Nashville that week. The the Monday is the awards in Nashville. The Tuesday is the GM meeting. We probably won't have a cap number confirmed by the NHL or by anyone until they leave that meeting. So we're all going to be hanging around a hotel in Nashville. Craig Conroy is going to come out or Bill Daly or whoever. And be like, all right, folks, the cap number is X. And then we're all going to run around like lunatics to write stuff. And all the GMs are going to run around like lunatics to get under that number. And there's a chance it could be a little bit higher. Uh, you know, uh, Joe Smith at the the Athletic wrote a really good piece uh, on Thursday on on their site, breaking down sort of the mechanics of how the cap could go up by more. Uh, and one of the new mechanisms they have after the the escrow debt is paid off, the cap can only up can only go up by five percent a year. Granted, I mean they can go up by more than that by mutual decree, but you know, be, because they don't want the cap to wildly outpace expected revenues, they put in that five percent cap on the cap growth. So that's a long way of saying, you know, you kind of want to a have a sense of how the cap's going to grow from year to year, because, you know, you don't want to be in a situation where you've spent all that money already. The flames are in a situation right now where, you know, if you look at the cap friendly, they've got maybe a million bucks to spend. And that's if they go league minimum for, uh, if they go, you know, a 20 man roster, which they won't. So they've got some decisions to make independent of everything else. But if you're trying to map it out, if you're going, okay, maybe you can white knuckle it for 23, 24, because you know, you didn't know what the happening with with the escrow debt and all that other stuff. All right. You get, you get it. You get a gimme once because this is a weird situation. The year after maybe going up by three or 4 million year after that three or 4 million. Again, you probably don't want to have that money pre-spent. You probably want to know what maneuverability you need from year to year. So maybe you do try to make some maneuvers to keep the AAV kind of flexible because, you know, you, you don't know what's going to happen. Like you happen to have a player in Elias Lindholm that he's, he's the center that they've basically dreamed of having since Jerome McGinley arrived here in 2000 or in well, 96, but when he became very, very good in 2000, he's the guy that they've been, they hoped Mark Savard would be. He's the guy they hoped all these other guys would be. And they have him. And the first thing, you know, we, this was sort of a phrasing that I heard when, you know, the Flames signed Michael back into his current extension. The phrasing was, oh, man, you know, that's, that's a little bit heavy for a guy who's like a second, third line center. You know, a good one, but a little bit heavy. And the phrase that was used to, to describe it to me was, first thing you do after you trade away Michael Backlund is try Look to find the another, next one. Yeah. yeah, you try to find another Michael Backlund. Same yeah. thing with Elias Lindholm. If yeah. you trade Elias Lindholm or he walks, the first thing you're going to do is drive yourself crazy trying to replace him. Well, and that's why I think it's the, the number one priority is re-signing him and and not for not for any price but at, at a deal like try to re-sign him and, and something that is reasonable and something that will keep him here for the vast majority of the rest of his career 
because without him, who's your number one center going forward? You don't really. Backlund's in his in his mid thirties. He's what thirty five, and and he's a year away from UFA. Nazem Kadri is thirty two, thirty three years old. Like you don't have another guy anywhere close to a number one center on your team. You're you're, you're not getting number three overall from Columbus, so you're. You don't have a number one set. I'm not saying Elias Lindholm is McKinnon or McDavid or and, he's not, but he's still this team's number and, one center. He's still a Selkie Trophy type player. And, we'll, and if you don't have him, then now you don't have a now you don't have a number one center for the next number of years. And the the beautiful thing about having Elias Lindholm is like let's say let's say you're going uh, you know we'll talk about Dubé momentarily let's say if you're thinking maybe Dubé can be a center if you're thinking maybe Coronado can be a center if you're thinking there's a lot of guys who have the ability to play in a lot of different places but they're young and untested if you are in a situation where you need to find out if there's if there's centers because you have nobody else that is a recipe for failure that's a recipe to make it very difficult for those guys to develop properly in those positions you know you the best way for young guys to develop until they're ready to you know take the world on is to shelter them and when you have the center depth the flames have right now with a one two three of Kadri, Lindholm and Backlund you have the ability to just you know, try a lot of different things with other guys and it's not life and death. You can ease them in. You take away Lindholm and your breathing room, your ability to bring along, bring guys along slowly to try things out, to not throw them to the wolves. It's out the door. If you, if you lose a Lindholm and you have no one else to replace him, maybe all of a sudden Connor's Aries in the NHL before he's ready. Yeah. And that, that's a bit worrisome. Well, and, and look, you don't, you may not have a choice. He may not want to sign long-term in which case you got to think about a trade. And I think you could be able to get a really good return for him, and and that would be your next priority. But so okay, there's Lindholm, and and I think Horvat's eight times eight and a half is is probably a good ballpark in terms. It might have to yeah. be a little bit higher than that. It's close. It's close. I think Lindholm's the superior player, but he's also yeah. the older player. So yeah. you know, I, I think that eight times eight and a half is a pretty good ballpark for Elias Lindholm. Now I don't really see that many differences on Noah Hannafin. He would be the second really interesting of the four. Hannafin is younger. He almost has 600 NHL games to his name. He was a little bit more positive or optimistic about returning to Calgary as, as he enters the final year of his contract. But honestly, Pike, these are the two guys. I don't really include Shillington just because I, I think... You know, he's, he's a unique situation. Exactly. It's far more yeah. unique. So he's part of the seven, but I, I don't include him when we're talking about what I'm about to say, and that is of the guys entering the final years of contracts, Lindholm and Hannafin are the only two in their 20s. And they're the two that if, in my opinion, you let walk for nothing, that is poor asset management. Like if you were to let Chris Tanev walk away at the end of his contract, that to me is not bad asset management. You got four good years out of Tanev. He's in his 30s. You and, shake and, his hand and, and, and you say gave thank up, you very much. And you much. gave up zero to you get him. You signed him, and, and so he played out. Exactly. He played yeah. out his four years. But you gave up a ton to get Hannafin and Lindholm in the same deal. They're both in their 20s. They are at their most maximizable. That's not a word, but they're... they're it's, a, it's the word we're using. Maximizable. Exactly. They, they are at their uh, the, the best chance to maximize their value in a trade right now. And so I look at Hannafin exactly the same as I look at Lindholm. You try to re-sign him because there is a... Hannafin plays in a top four on any NHL team. He may not yeah. be a true bonafide number one. No, he's not. And and on really deep teams, he might be a second pair guy. But Ooh, he can, if, if he's on your second pair, your first pair is real good. Exactly. And he plays 22 to 25 a night. He gives you decent offense. He's, he's a good defense. Here's, here's my question. What's he bad at? 
He's not. I, I, I would. I would argue he's not elite at a lot of things, but he's not bad at anything. He's an elite skater. Yeah, I'd say that. I'd and, say that. And the rest, he's he he's good at a lot of things. Not elite at a, a lot of things. But to your point, you, you can put he's him, not horrible. You either. can play him in any situation. You yeah. can play him with any partner. You can play him, you know, on any pairing. You can he can run your power play. Is he great at? I've seen better. Is he terrible at? I've seen significantly worse. Is he a good PK guy? Yeah, he was a he played a lot on a PK that was very productive this year. Yeah, and he played at five on five a lot with a lot of different guys. And I mean, the the defensive group this year was sort of a, a work in progress all season in twenty two twenty three because of injuries, because of guys being absent, guys being up and down from the farm. Got, you know, there's a lot of things going on. But Hannafin was. Steady Eddie on that blue line. He was the guy who, when Uyghur was figuring it out, when Zadaroff was moving up and down the pairing, when everything else was swirling, you always had Anderson, you always had Hannafin, and you could put them together, you could put them with different partners, and you'd always get reliable minutes. And again, I think the priority should be re-signing Hannafin because 25-year-old, 26-year-old players with 600 NHL games almost 600 NHL games to their name, who can skate like he does and play the minutes he does. He's 26. You know, th- those guys don't grow on trees. So I think if, re-signing Hannafin if you, if is you your priority, him, if you have, trading if you can. If you have him long-term, then your left side is some combination. Like, if you have the ability to roll out Uyghur, Hannafin, and Shillington on three different pairs, that is good pretty spot. good yep. in terms of energy, puck movement, mobility, all the kinds of things that you want an up-tempo puck possession team to play. And I'll say this, if you have to trade Hannafin, great. I think that puts a lot of pressure on Oliver Shillington. Like, I think you, you want to have the ability for Shillington to be not necessarily thrown to the wolves after a year away. And I think having Hannafin around makes life better for everyone. But, you know, you don't, you don't get to choose what happens in life, right? So yeah. maybe he has to go somewhere else. But I, I think, A, you get a lot for him. But B, you'd probably rather have the player than the assets. So again, much like Hannafin, it's not fully in their hands. They can try to take a run at re-signing him, but if you're not getting anywhere, I think you got to move the player too. In both cases, with Hannafin and Lindholm, it just so happens they came over in the same trade, but I think those two guys, you have got to move them this summer if you're not going to be able to re-sign them. The other guys, a little bit different. Let's move to Matthew Phillips. Might be the most fascinating of all of them. Uh, where where did he finish in the AHL scoring race this year? Top ten? Yeah, and he didn't. Play, he wasn't. He what spent two or three weeks in the NHL. He was he was the top scorer on the best regular season team in the American Hockey League. Matthew Phillips has been look. I don't for anybody listening, whether live or on podcast right now. We know what Matthew Phillips is all about. He's been one of the most productive players in the American League for the last two years. He's this feel good underdog local story who has completely shattered every glass ceiling that has been put in front of him to this point. And he's got that one last one to try to break through. And, and I don't know if he's going to break through. I do not know. But part of my frustration is that I don't know because he hasn't even been given a real opportunity. We've seen plenty of players get the opportunity and just, it doesn't work out, but let's at least see if that happens. Like, okay, I get that Phillips 
there wasn't really a place for him in 20, uh, 2021, 2022, because the Flames were one of the best teams in the NHL, one of the highest scoring teams in the NHL. So there wasn't a natural spot for him. But last year, they couldn't score. They couldn't generate offense in a dangerous manner. There was, there was absolutely reason for him to get more opportunity than Daryl Sutter gave him. He didn't get it. And so now as an unrestricted free agent with the chance of losing him for nothing, it's a little bit frustrating that you still don't know because you had every reason to know more this year and the team or, or, or Daryl, let's, let's be honest, Daryl never, I think it's very clear that Daryl didn't see him as an NHL player. And that is Daryl's right because he's an NHL coach. That's what he's paid to do. Yeah. But there was, at least from the outside, there were so many reasons why giving him more than eight and a half minutes per game twice was he, was hey, something that could have hurt this he helped the, this team. Right? He had his chance, Pat, but he hit the post that one time, and that's not good enough. I know he hasn't put up NHL points. I'm I'm very very aware of that, but I just I would like to know. And so because of that, with Daryl Sutter no longer here, and with Craig Conroy, the guy who drafted him and pushed for him to get drafted at the table in 2016. And maybe Mitch Love is a coach on this team as a head coach or an assistant coach. I just think there's reason to make a go at trying to convince Matthew to come back for another year. If you were Matthew Phillips and uh, you're probably, he was probably working out or something uh, during the, during Craig's initial press conference, you think he heard the the whole, yeah, maybe, you know, get some more young guys in. And he just turned the radio up a bit and was like, hold on, let's, let me hear Wait more about, let me hear more about that, Craig. Yeah, I, I think he's, you and I have had this conversation both on and off air. I, I think that's probably the second most fascinating conversation that I'd love to be, you know, a, a fly in the wall for. I think the Lindholm one is going to be, you know, the most interesting conversation. But I think if you can get, like, if, if, if Phillips is nothing, then what have you, what have you lost? It's a six round pick, but he could be real, real good. He's a very good AHLer at the very least. And, I would say if I'm the Flames, you know, you don't have a lot of cap space. I'd probably throw one way at him. Granted, that's it's, where I am. It's not my money, but I, you know, I think I suggested you're uh, about you're about to you're about to accuse me of uh, spending Craig's money. Hey, and I, here you are spending I, Craig's money. Hey, on league men, but you know the the idea. I you know, like, go if, than if you're, men, though, if, you're if you're if you're you know if we've just we just saw like okay here's an example Oscar Dansk who's a very reliable AHL backup but doesn't play a lot. Got uh, a one, you know, his NHL side of his deal is 775, the league minimum. His other side of his deal is 275 uh, in the AHL. So a one way would be 775 no matter where he plays. And so, A, you're, if you only think that Matthew Phillips is a good AHLer and you're thinking, damn, I want a good AHLer to stay on my AHL team because he was a big, big piece of a very good team and having a good AHL team helps development. If you want to have, you have Lucas Siona and the other guys down there to have good players to play with, throwing a one-way or two at key players is probably smart business. So just from the AHL of it all, throwing, you know, convincing him, it's your hometown team, you're going to play a lot, you're, you know, people love you, people know who you are, you know, it'll be fun, you know, for the, for the, for the, the, the good vibes of it, a one-way deal probably makes sense. For the, yeah, but we have a new coach and maybe you'll get, you'll, you'll probably get a much closer shake to the NHL roster than you'd get in, in any other point in your career to this point. And I think that might be the thing because, you know, you think you don't want to, you don't want to lean on the sentimentality a bit, but you know, 
it, I think it means something for Matthew Phillips to play for his hometown team, and it would mean even more to play in the NHL for his hometown team. And I think it'd be, you know, it'd be nice to see them finish the story and sort of have the the or underdog the hometown kid. At very least, find out in a Flames jersey whether or not yeah. he can do it. That's what I, I think. I think you'd like to know in your own organization, whether or not he can do it. And that's why I would go more than an NHL minimum deal. I'd go, I'd go one year, one way, 850, 900, something like that. Ooh. And, and see, see if that can't convince him to stick around that's, for one that's more That's a year. lot of money to throw at a guy with three games played though. I, but I, I, I'm aware of that, but you're also trying to convince a guy who I think will get interest and will get some significant oh, he'll, money. He, he'll be like Austin Zarnick. Uh, that's exactly who I'm like, thinking about. He, he, you know, right shot, undersized forward who could just score at the AHL level. Maybe he just turns into Austin Zarnick at the NHL level. That that'd be the only reason I go oh because like if if I'd say this everyone's gonna be capped out and if the idea is you want to set him up to be an NHL player if not here somewhere I think league men gives him the best chance to get claimed on waivers somewhere and some other scout will be able to sell their GM on hopes and dreams in Matthew Phillips based on a few good preseason games even if there's not a spot for him in Calgary I think a, the higher your AAV goes the less likely it is that he gets a chance to play in the NHL somewhere else next year. It's a one-year deal. He can get an opportunity. He can go tear up the American League again and um, have the opportunity the following year. I just, I would like to see if they can convince him to stay. That's all. Um, and I just think maybe it doesn't happen, but I just think him going and turning into uh, a decent NHLer on another team and you're like, ah, we could have convinced him to stay. At the very least, know that you put a convincing offer on the table. Before we get to Dubay, uh, I'll read you a few texts, 960, 960. Uh, this says, um, Hannafin's a giveaway machine. Look at his giveaways. Um, this reads, um, Phillips was destroyed physically in this year's playoff run. Let's get real. He's 140 pounds. Sutter was right. Uh, this says Matt Phillips reminds me of Corey Conacher. Uh, this says I can't believe we're going to waste a roster spot on someone who we know isn't going to make it at this level. I just, how do you know? After th- after three games, like I don't when, know when one I, way or the other. When I say I don't want to spend more than a certain amount on a guy with three games played, it's not saying it's because he is or anything. It's it's the mystery of it all. It's the he's the mystery box at the NHL level. You just don't know what he's going to be. And that, and I would like. My point is that I'd like to know at the NHL, sorry, as a flame, what he is at the NHL level. Um, this says, Pat, you're talking about this kind of money for Phillips and Lindholm. There's a cap. Uh, the Huberdeau and contra- Kadri contracts have changed the landscape. Yeah, I, I get it. First of all, Lindholm won't be on the cap for this year. Second of all, the cap goes up after next year. Third of all, they're not keeping all of Toffoli and Tanev and, and all the other guys on expiring contracts. So I understand there's a salary cap, but I also understand that, for instance, on a Lindholm contract, it doesn't kick in until after next year when they will have more flexibility with a cap that goes up more and contracts, way more contracts coming off the books. So I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm being unrealistic talking about signing Lindholm to an extension. Should we get into the controversial one? Well, your, your hot take. So uh, again, I, I published this on Tuesday, and then it got tweeted out on Thursday, and then Im- immediately I had, "Hey Steinberg, what is all this?" Uh, so basically, I said, Dylan Dubay is a guy, in my opinion, that I think the Flames should be talking about, or or considering 
betting on with a longer-term extension this summer. He's into the final year of his contract. He'll be RFA at the end of his contract. And I just, with where the Flames are right now, with some of the players they've lost, with different players around this league not wanting to commit to small market and or Canadian teams, I know Dylan Dubé wants to stay as a member of the Flames. I know he wants to be here. And he just had another career season with 45 points. So I'm saying to myself, I think there's a a real good bet to be made here about potentially signing him to a long-term deal. And I threw out, based on what he did last year at 45 points, that kind of puts him, if you were to sign him to a contract right now based on what he did last year, that kind of puts him in the four, four and a half million dollar range. Yeah. And knowing the amount of UFA years you'd be buying uh, on a Dylan Dubé contract, knowing when he's eligible for unrestricted free agency, um, he is by, you'd be buying four UFA years, prime UFA years of Dylan Dubé, which comes with it a premium. When you sign guys to long-term deals in their mid-20s, you're paying premium to go longer. When you sign guys in their late 20s, early 30s, you typically are paying less the longer you go, or the AAV comes down the longer you go. So I just extrapolated premium on four potential bought UFA years in his prime. I threw out a six-by-six ballpark. People did not like that on Twitter. I got it. And and look, I'm fine with that. I I love the discourse. I love the conversation. But got into a conversation with a bunch of people who disagreed with me on Twitter. And that's fine. I know there's a little sticker shock to it. And I'm not suggesting that it should just be give them six-by-six. But that ballpark on a six-year deal... For a guy who just put up 45 points and I think has room for and, offensive yep. growth, you're betting on a player for six years and six of his most productive NHL years. I don't think somewhere in the five and a half to six range is completely out of the, out of the question on a six-year deal. If it start, if you can get him somewhere between, somewhere closer to five, I'm all for it because I think there, I, I agree with you with the potential. I think my, my biggest thing with, with Dubé is, and this isn't really his fault. He sort of has a bit of Sam Bennett syndrome in terms of how he was used. What is he? Cause he's been used as a center when they don't have a lot of centers going. He's used as winger when they're like, you know, he, he, I think he's at his best as winger. I think he does just fine as a center, but I don't think that's where his strengths lie. But you know, we, we've seen flashes of him looking like a $6 million guy. A lot, you know, and I think in his credit, we've seen them much more frequently over the last year or two than we did in the in the the years before. Again, that's how player development works. But I don't know, like, is is he going to be a forty five point guy forever? If he's a twenty twenty guy every year, I don't. I think maybe six mil is a little bit hefty a price to pay for 20, 20 what, goals every year. Now, your big thing is you don't know what he. You don't have a. Uh, a confident projection on to, in terms of what he is, right? Yeah, and and again, I don't think that's his fault because you know, I, I again, I liken it to sort of how when Sam Bennett came in, Sam Bennett came in in a situation where they had a bunch of guys around Sam Bennett that had really clear roles, and you know, you didn't have Kachuk have, being able to play center, so Kachuk got a very clear role. You had Ferlik with a very clear role. You had Manjipani come in and play that great four-checking role, so he had a very clear role, and he couldn't play center. You had a lot of guys who can only do one position, and so they simply said, great, that's what your thing is now. 
with Dubé, his versatility kind of works against him, I think, in some cases. I thought it was ridiculous that he spent that time as the fourth-line center this year. He was he, clearly yeah. a top-nine winger, if not one of their, their top— like, and He should have been in the top-nine all he's, year. He's good enough at the things he does that I don't understand limiting his ice time by making your fourth-line center. And with the current configuration of the team, at least the way it looks like it's going to be for a while, I don't think he's a center long term. So, and honestly, as as an aside, I'm you know I I hope that the Flames define Matt Coronado's role as he becomes more established as a pro because I see shades of of the Matt Coronado in Dylan Dubé and Sam Bennett. Uh, yeah, I just if you if you can tell me exactly what his role is, what his gig is, what his thing is, his niche is, whatever, and say, watch your mouth. This is what we want you to do, Dylan Dubé. This is Dylan Dubé's thing to do all the time. Yeah, I think I think there's upside there because he can he's power play. He can, he's been very. I think him and Mangiapane were an extremely effective duo on the penalty kill, coming in at the end of penalty kills against tired power plays and generating a lot of offensive opportunities shorthanded. And that's great. There's not a lot of guys that can do that. And he's been decent but unspectacular on the power play. He's been reliable and occasionally very good five on five. Just can he put it all together and take that step? Because he's so close to it. I think he, like, it doesn't just happen all the time in a snap, right? He went from 32 to 45 points. And you take a look at the way he was used this past year. He wasn't used in a consistent role whatsoever. When he was, he was pretty productive. He is one of, over the last two seasons, of players that are still on this team and regulars over the last two seasons. He's one of their top goals per 60 and points per 60 guys at 5-on-5. And I just, I wonder about Dylan Dubé, in a top six role for an entire season without, without getting bounced around all over the place because of the versatility that he brings. I wonder what that looks like offensively. And I don't think a guy goes, I I don't think that over the next six or seven years, it's out of the question that Dubé is in the 55 to 65 point range. I really don't. If he gets close to the 50, 50, 55 point range, that's basically a pretty easy justification for Michael Backlund money, if not maybe a little bit more than that. But, and now you have to extrapolate the cap going up and different, you can't compare a deal signed in 2018 to a deal that'd be signed in 2023 or 2024, apples to apples. As an aside, folks, uh, when you talk about cap inflation, generally speaking, not universally, but generally speaking, when agents talk to teams about contracts, they talk about percentages of the cap as much as they talk about AAV. Because if, you know, Pat is the most important player on my team and he's making 10% of the cap, when the cap goes up and he's up for another contract, it's not like we're going to talk about the same AAV. We're going to talk about the same percentage. Percentage of the cap. So yeah. that's, that's a, you know, cap inflation is kind of silly, but it's, it's important. A mar- it's a marketplace. You're, you're competing potentially for Dylan Dubé's services with 31 other teams. And so you need to make him an offer that would make his agent go, we don't need to talk to anyone else. He almost doubled his assist total. Uh, he hit 18 again with a lower shooting percentage every year. He's got every year. He's improved. He's improved in terms of shots. I still think there's a lot of improving he needs in his all round game. I still think away from the puck. I still think play driving, but I just think there is a, and I know that a lot of people don't agree with me and that's fine. Like Brenda just texted in six by six for a 45 point guy. Turn in your GM credentials. 
Well, Brenda, what I would say to you is I'm not paying for what he's done. I'm paying for what he will do. That's the type of contract that you sign a 24-year-old to right now. What he's going to be, you're a, it's a projection contract as opposed to what you've done. It's very similar to the Rasmus Anderson deal that was signed in, what, 2018 or early 2019. That was a six-year yeah. deal. He wasn't a $4.5 million player then, but you're projecting, and they got a damn good deal on that. It's one of the best deals on the team now. Yeah, and honestly, with I think I think the challenge is with, with Anderson. Anderson was very clearly a good top four player when they signed him. They kind of knew top, you know, he'll play in the top two pairings. Maybe he won't be an undisputed top pairing guy, but for what Anderson does, how much he plays at the time, it seemed like smart business and there's a lot of comparables. And it was at that point where he wasn't working the power play very much. So his offensive numbers weren't popping yet. And then they put him on the power play and his offensive numbers popped. He, you would not sign Anderson to that deal and get away with it now. Because, no. So I, I can see the temptation. I can see the temptation, but again, I, I just, this organization my only nervousness. Has just, it, they've so rarely bet on guys that they have drafted and developed. They hit a home run on Rasmus Anderson. So I'm just sitting here saying, maybe try it again with a guy that you drafted, you developed one year after you drafted Rasmus Anderson. Give it a try. And, and I'm not saying you just, here's six by six. Obviously, you negotiate. But if you can get it at six times five and a half or six times five, if, point, if you, like, if, I, I think he, that you've got a really potential if you good get him, contract. There. If you get him to Michael Backlund money, like five and a half ish, like somewhere in that range, you can save a bit of money. You can, you can, you know, I think, I think, I think if you can get him in that five and a half ish range, like if he signs for a Michael Backlund ish AAV, I don't hate it. But my only nervousness is just, I don't know what he is. I know he's good. I know he can do a lot of things. He's extremely useful, versatile player, but I don't know what the thing he does that's going to, like, Backlund had the, no matter what happened with Backlund, he had his two-way prowess. He was such a good shutdown player that you went, ah, you know, even if Backlund doesn't score you 30 goals a year, it's the goals that Backlund doesn't allow, the goals that Backlund negates, the, the, the frustration he causes another team. That's my only question with, with Dubé. What is his thing that he's going to hang his hat on for his career? I don't think we figured it out yet. He, I think we're close. I think he's close, but I don't... I didn't know. I don't know if we knew it about Rasmus at the time either. And that deal's worked out pretty well. We'll see. We'll see. I, 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 I still think he's underpaid. Rasmus? By a couple million bucks. Absolutely he is. My point is, when they signed into that deal, we didn't know exactly what his NHL calling card was going to be, but they saw something there that said, okay, let's get this guy locked up. Let's put a ton of money on the table immediately for him. That's, you know, they put on like $28 million on the table for him. And that's something that got him and his camp to be interested and it also gave the Flames a chance for a really, really good value contract down the road. That's what I'm suggesting on Dylan Dubé. I get it, but not everybody, uh, not, not everybody agrees, and that's fine. That's why it's a discussion. Um, let's talk about 960, 960. Uh, what do we got here? You're both nuts on Dubé. He can skate and has a shot. He does not have high-end stick handling or playmaking ability like Michael Backlund. Trade Dubé. 
Uh, I'm not eager to trade a guy that you drafted and developed and who wants to be here long term. I'm is, just not is, eager to do that. Between this, this and Phillips, this has turned into the 2016 draft class hour. <laughs> yeah, it has been. Uh, this says Huberdeau with Lindholm and Dubé. There's your top line if Lindholm sticks around. That's from Dan and Cochran. Uh, this says from Heath, a little bit of a longer one. Hannafin and Dubé are two of the most underappreciated players on the team, not by the organization, but by fans. They're two perfect examples of young players fans pine for. I would suggest comparing Dubé to Bennett isn't a fair comparison. Bennett was shuffled around because he wasn't reaching anything close to his potential or even showing any signs of improvement. Dubé being moved around was because of how good a player he is and his versatility. My thoughts are, if he gets a chance to play a consistent role and position, he'll truly begin to show how good he can be that's where i am on the dubay front um this says eh, back to phillips look at the teams in the finals size and skill matter phillips just doesn't have both unfortunately and finally this reads they need to sign phillips who is that small skilled player that they lost not named johnny oh just some guy named marty san louis undrafted look i'm not suggesting that matthew phillips is going to be martin san louis but i do think that they should think about re-signing him i really really do that was a fun conversation it's pat and pike this hour of flames talk coming at you from our doug lacy's basement systems downtown studio boeing foundation walls they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation contact basement systems they're all things basement visit dlbasementsystems.com Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. Flamestock is on the air and streaming on the Sportsnet mobile app. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, Calgary. The hour continues. Pat and Pike along with you. Still waiting on head coach news. We'll get it soon, I think, whether it's Friday, whether they wait the weekend until Monday, but it feels like that's kind of where we're the, at the, right now. The, the theme of this offseason has been Monday press releases. Yes. And I guess holiday Tuesday press releases. And the news getting out over the weekend. Which had happened with Conrad. Remember? We're like I remember. We we all like going into that Friday of the long weekend, I had heard like I think it's going to be Conroy, and I think we're going to hear it on Friday. Well, remember when we were talking to, to Craig at the done. presser? Yeah, he got told during the day on Friday. Yeah, and he was told, "Yeah, presser on Tuesday." And then the chattiest man in all of sports had to stay quiet about it. Had for a long to weekend. basically not be on his phone for the entire long weekend. Um, so I don't know. We'll see if the news gets out as to the official. Like, okay. It feels like it's going to be an internal hire. It feels like we'll find out and, and it'll be introduced on Friday or Monday. That's just kind of what the feel is right now. That's what everything that I'm led to believe is that we're kind of in that window and that we're probably looking at an internal hire for the team. Just quickly, because we talked about the, we talked about the coach ad nauseum, but haven't had a chance to chat with you about it. If they do go internal, and by internal, you mean Ryan Husko or Mitch Love. Okay. If they go with one of those two guys, maybe there's a way both guys stay on the staff. I don't know. But if Mitch Love or Ryan Huska ends up being the head coach, what are the benefits? Why are the why, why would that be a good call for the team? I think some continuity. I mean, you know, both the guys, I'll, I'll start with Huska. Huska has shown an incredible ability to really maximize those young guys, especially on the blue line. I mean, he's the guy that really helped Rasmus Anderson 
integrate himself. Uh, he helped integrate Noah Hannafin. And I think Noah Hannafin, you know, during uh, during the time he's played with the Flames and played with, uh, with Huska, really taking a step. Oliver Shillington. Oliver Shillington, uh, we all forget, was, I think he was, uh, Huska was the head coach down on the farm when Oliver Shillington came over and they said, teach this kid who's so good at everything else, teach him how to defend, teach him how to check. And Shillington became a pretty good checker. He's learned to use his speed and his mobility in that way, in a way he hadn't really used before at the pro level. So, you know, I think if you look at the the body of work, I think he's shown the ability to get a lot of young guys and help them understand, integrate them. And, you know, at, at a time when, you know, not a lot was working well for the Flames last season, the penalty kill was consistently stingy. And I think having that to fall back on really helped the team in close games and key moments. And Mitch Love, I mean, had, has any organization had a, a two-time AHL coach of the year? And granted, I mean, text line, we love you, we hear you. Yes, he had two-time AHL goalie of the year, Dustin Wolf between the pipes. Having the best goalie really helps. Yeah. But a lot of the other stuff in the lineup also popped. You saw, you know, Pelche take steps, Zary take steps. Cole Schwint, I think, really progressed over the course of this season. He was quite good in the playoffs after sort of being up and down in the regular season. Uh, some of the young defensemen really took steps over the course of the year. Uh, Ilya Solovyov really found his game in the back half of the year. And, you know, after looking like a guy who might have been topped out as an AHL player uh, at the beginning of the season, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he has a long look at training camp. And that's a par- in part due to the hard work of the coach. And so if you're talking about you know, a team going younger, if you're talking about a team wanting to be more up-tempo, more up-pace, more energetic, playing that checking style, that's what the Wranglers did this year. That's what the Heat did the year before. And, you know, if you're if you're looking to integrate, you know, some modernity and some energy into your coaching staff and sort of embrace how the game has changed in a lot of ways, either of those two guys, I think, are the guys you probably yeah. want to go with. See what they end up doing. We'll see if we get news on Friday. We'll see if we get news on Monday. We'll see if the news, who who breaks the news, when does it get out, and how long until it gets out until there's an official news conference. We'll find out all those things in the next 48, 72 hours or so. Pat and Pike wrapping up this hour. We gotta get, we're going to have on Friday's program, Sonia Sharp, uh, Counselor, Counselor Sonia Sharp going to join us, talk about the arena deal. Uh, we have Pike with us. We can't not talk arenas and or the event center arena in this city. And there has been developments over the last week or so we, of we which have, we, you have written a, about. There was a meeting. Tell us about it. What do we need to know? Oh, well, I mean, the city, city of men finally had a chance to just sort of walk everyone through the deal as it was. Uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of it was sort of not, not a lot of it was new information, but they sort of got into sort of how the the lease works and the mechanics. Uh, the previous deal from 2019 involved the the Flames. Uh, you know, basically the city would get a cut of revenues, like a, t- a ticket tax, up to a certain amount. So it was a weird formula, and they, you know, there's basically you were banking on certain things happening for cash flow and that, this, that, and the other thing. Same with, you know, they would get a cut of the the naming rights, but the naming rights were projected to be above a certain level. And so if things didn't turn out in terms of the naming rights and something else, then you know there's some downside risk for the city. Now. They've it's flat out $17 million lease to start. And then every year it goes up by 1%. So, you know, as much as I know, I know I've seen on social media, people upset that the city's fronting so much money, especially fronting the, the flames contribution. The flames are putting up 40 million up front and then the lease contribution. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll say this. Uh, they've done a good job of, uh, 
of making sure that there's a little, you know, there's few risks on that. The 17 million, if the flames, if the flames, if nothing happens in that area, if they just hold, hold hockey games and, you know, the, the revenue projections don't pan out, the flames are on the hook for the same amount regardless. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's a little, I think we're going to, as things progress in the next few months, we're going to get, uh, the the contracts in our hands relatively soon i think in the next couple of months and then we'll be able to really get nerdy about this stuff but huh. i don't know it's the let's get nerdy yeah we'll be able to litigate even more specific things about this but you know for for now we're sort of waiting and seeing and waiting for the 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 nice lawyers and the nice uh, development folks at the city to basically paper this thing and then drown us in paperwork the way they like to well, that'll do it for this hour. Do we get news on Friday about a coach? Do we find out Ryan Huska or Mitch Love is the head coach on Friday? Do we wait till Monday? We'll find that out over the next little bit. Um, you can get Ryan Pike on Twitter at Ryan and Pike. My name is Pat Steinberg. Azam and Cam have been our producers this hour, and that'll wrap us up on the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Ask how a restricted key system can keep your business safe, even through employee turnover. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. Come.